Women Taking the Lead, episode 215. You never know if you're willing to have the conversation. Really amazing things can happen, even with people that you don't think amazing things will happen. And who knows the ripple effect, both in terms of her being more mindful of how she treats her husband, her kids, her friends, but also, again, leader is is role model when we bring up difficult conversations, but in a respectful way, it role models for other people that you can have the hard conversations and it doesn't have to be this aggressive, combative experience. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Have you grabbed your copy of my best-selling book, Accomplished, How to Go from Dreaming to Doing? Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash accomplished to access the secrets to achievement and success. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone. This is Jody Flynn, and welcome to Women Taking the Lead. I'm excited to be bringing you the male perspective today. This podcast is not just about women helping women. It's my philosophy that it's going to take both genders working together to see more women stepping up as leaders. We can gain a lot of insights from men. So I interview men who work with women around their leadership development. And as our guest today, we have David Lee, who is the founder of Human Nature at Work and StoriesThatChange.com. He is the author of nearly 100 articles and book chapters on topics related to leadership, constructive conversations, and personal development. He is author of Powerful Storytelling Techniques, published by ATD Press, and is currently working on a new book, Courageous Conversations at Work. He is especially interested in helping people show up as their best selves and have the important conversations they need to engage in to have the life they desire. David, sounds good to me. Sign me up. Tell me more. (laughs) Tell me more about you so everyone gets a sense of who they're listening to right now. Thanks, Jody. Great to be here. So, yeah, actually, your intro really summarized it well. Most of my work is with leaders and managers on how they can be their best selves and by being that, bring out the best in others. And so whether they're focused on uh, having a team that gives better customer service or doing a better job of attracting, retaining talent, what can they do to be that kind of leader? And then in sort of the drilled down tactical part of it, a lot of the work that I do and that I love doing is how do you have the conversation to get that result? And then there's also what I think of sometimes as my stealth mission, and that's to try to do my part to help make the workplace a a kinder, more thoughtful, respectful, sort of like more human friendly place than it typically is. I love that. I love the concept of a stealth mission. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm here to do one one thing and we're going to deliver on that, but you're going to get a whole lot more from this experience. You got it. Perfect. And David, where did that come from? Because I know from my own experience, when I caught on to a mission I had, it definitely had roots in my childhood. Is the same true for you? Absolutely. And it makes me think of one of my favorite books, which is The Soul's Code by James Hillman. And he talks about looking at 
he uses the analogy of the acorn and the oak and that you see the acorn in a person's childhood, the experiences they had, the wounding they've had, the things that they enjoy doing, et cetera. And there were two experiences that I think really planted the seed for me with my stealth vision. And one was as a child witnessing firsthand the effect of a worker being in a workplace where they felt disrespected. I remember years ago hearing uh, Robert Bly say something about children, many if not most children never truly know their father, they only knew their father's moods. And when I heard that, I'm like, oh man, (laughs) was he in my house? Because depending on whether my father felt mistreated that day or not, it would be an okay evening or a very not okay evening. And so I would hear story after story of those like little managerial moments of truth with a manager employee where from his point of view, he felt mistreated, disrespected, et cetera. And so again, I, I experienced the fallout of when workplaces aren't respectful and human friendly. And then as I became a teenager and a, a college student, like many, I had those wonderful summer jobs and part-time jobs that uh, we can't wait to get a degree so we never have to do again. And even though I had some decent bosses and a couple of really good ones, I also had my share of nightmare bosses, sort of like, uh, was it Bob Lundberg in Office Space? Mm-hmm. And It didn't take too many of those for me to think, I really want to work for myself. And so I I think those those two experiences really uh, lit a fire in me to try to, again, do my part to help make the workplace a better place. I love that. You know, it's always, um, I, I really believe missions come from seeing what's missing and wanting to add to it. Like we feel driven, like there's not enough kindness in the workplace. We are not being considerate of each other. And so I love that. It's, it's always good. I'm going to take on like my stealth mission. (laughs) (laughs) I have stealth missions, but I very rarely tell people. (laughs) I keep it to myself. Love that, Uh, David. And to start off with David, if you could, Tell us a story about a woman who has impacted you as a leader. You talked about your father's experience. Was there also a woman in your life that shaped your leadership? Yeah. So when I think about the woman who has had the biggest impact on me, I think of my former partner and still best friend, Bonnie. And she was and is just a master at what I think of as two really important skills for being an effective leader, whether you have a title or not. And one is the ability to create emotional safety. And the second is being able to hold the vision for somebody of who they are or who they can, I should say, who they can be when they can't see that. So first, the emotional safety piece. One of the things I noticed early on in our relationship is her ability to create emotional safety by I'll start off with not doing, not doing the following. So if I would share something with her, unlike some people would do, she didn't instantly assess or evaluate what I said. She didn't certainly didn't judge it or make it wrong. She also didn't give her seal of approval when it wasn't asked for and never played gotcha. If you know people who, mm-hmm. when you share something that's vulnerable, they're like, oh, there's you know, there's your control issues uh, showing up or, whoa, that was kind of passive aggressive or you know, just sort of like using psychological labels to, um, 
to comment on what you're sharing. And so she never did any of that, of those sorts of how to shut down conversation and make somebody not willing to be open and vulnerable. But instead, she had tremendous uh, gentle, had and has tremendous gentle presence and uh, a this just non-judging spaciousness that whatever you say, I can handle. I don't have to, like, let's say if you say something, uh, a point of view on a, a topic that she holds a different point of view, rather than uh, sometimes I'll find myself feeling like I have to defend my point of view, or I have to say a different point of view. They're putting down my point of view. She wouldn't do that. She would, she would just let me uh, say my point of view. And so that spaciousness of being okay with people being different and having a different uh, way of being, not to mention different point of view. And I think that is so important for leaders to cultivate that ability uh, to make it safe for people to speak up. And it affects, obviously, not just our personal life, but in the workplace, especially because people with less power in the workplace mm-hmm. are less likely to speak up. And so if you're in a position of power, Making it safe for people with less power to speak up is a great way to not only get the information that you need to know how to bring out the best in each individual, but also to create a better, more inspiring, more engagement-enhancing workplace. And so in the second ability or skill or practice that I noticed early on with Bonnie is that ability to uh, what we sometimes talk about is hold the vision for the other person. So, you know, times when I would get down on myself because of whatever happened or not feeling like I'm living up to my potential or questioning whether I could do something, that she would be able to see that ability and that potential in me that in that current state of mind I was in, I wasn't able to see. And again, to bring it back to being a leader, whether it's, and again, thinking of leaders or people who show up as their best self and help others show up as their best self, that whether it's with your your partner or your children, seeing the goodness and the greatness in them and the potential, or in the workplace, seeing the the good that your employees are capable of and the great things that they're capable of, especially when they're not able to see it, is such a a powerful way of bringing out the best in people. So those are just two of many many different ways that uh, Bonnie has affected my life. But they're two, I think, of the most directly applicable uh, practices for somebody wishing to be a better leader. That's huge, David. I was actually at a friend's birthday celebration on Friday night, and she, another friend, and I, at one point when we were, you know, saying goodbye for the night, we were just quickly chatting, and something that came up was all three of us commented on how we often hear in conversation people say to us, I don't know why I'm telling you this, you know, Mm. or I haven't told anyone this. And I can't remember who might have been me, might have been one of them, you know, said aloud, I wonder why that is. And instantly all three of us said, because we don't judge. Yes. You know, when you don't judge, people feel safe. It's it's that emotional safety space you talked about where people feel that they can say more to you because they feel safe doing it. And because you have that information, because they're telling you more, you can do something with it. You can help them or help the situation. Like you said, it's transformational when people stop putting a front 
up and start getting real. Absolutely. And David, you know, this is a great segue. I, it might it might touch on this. It, it might not. But we're talking about things that hold people back and cause them, you know, to to put the front up and prevent progress. So what is something that you see in women that holds them back? Yeah, and I think this is uh, definitely not gender specific, but probably more so with women than men. And it's choosing silence over speaking up, whether it's in our personal life or in our professional lives. And I'm sure everybody listening to this can think of with just a little bit of self-reflection times in their personal relationships, whether a partner or a friend, where the other person did something, said something that felt hurtful, whether mildly or not so mildly hurtful. And instead of bringing it up, they let fear keep them silent. And what they did, did instead was make that person a little less important to them. They hardened their heart. They numbed out. They shut down. They pulled away. And for many years, until I met Bonnie, that was my MO when I, when I felt hurt, as opposed to being brave enough to have the conversation. And again, that's why I'm such a passionate believer in developing the skills and the ability to be emotionally safe, because we can make it easier for people to speak up. And so also, obviously, in the workplace, anybody who works in a workplace can see plenty of examples of how issues not being raised because people are afraid of having the conversation and how that compromises effectiveness, both personally and organizationally. But there's a bigger picture, I think, to being willing to speak up. And it, it kind of speaks to one of my beliefs and, and how I try to operate. And that's, it's a combo of, hey, we're all in this together on this crazy journey of life on earth. And number two, if nobody ever speaks up, we never get any feedback about how we come across. It's sort of like the classic example of you go home from dinner out you know, with a bunch of people and you discover you have spinach in your teeth and you're thinking, like, I wish somebody had said <laughs> something, you know? So here, here's a story that um, I hope heartens people about you never know what can happen if you're willing to speak up. And so what happened was, this is when my daughter Jessie was, I don't know, like five or six. And I picked her up from her friend's house. And her friend's mom, Terry, um, kind of a curmudgeon. And I'd only had, let's say, four or five interactions with her over the last couple of years. So I didn't really know her that well. And when I, when I went to pick up Jesse, Terry said how, with sort of a tone of exasperation and annoyance, how Jesse had forgotten something, so it made, that, made her have to go back to school and pick it up or whatever. And I, you know, I was feeling that little parent thing about like, hey, don't be putting down my kid, even though I could appreciate why she was upset. I didn't want to make a big deal, but I also wanted to deflect it away from her, you know, bad-mouthing my daughter. So I just said, yeah, I think she probably gets that from her dad. And so Terry goes, um, really, I guess I should slap you too. 
I, my jaw dropped. I couldn't believe. Actually, she said something. I, I guess I should slap you in, Jesse. That's what she said. And I couldn't believe it. And I have um, what some people could relate to that delayed intelligence, you know, where I, my great comebacks are like hours or days too late. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I have nothing in response. So, um, so I say nothing. And I'm bringing Jesse home. And I want to make sure Jesse gets like, that's not okay to talk to adults that other people that way. And I also wanted to her know, I'm, don't worry, I'm going to bring that up to Terry later. So trying to you know be a good role model. But I'm thinking like, how do I bring this up to this lady who who acts this way. So I, you know, I thought about it. I got to a place where I wasn't really angry and outraged because obviously if I addressed it in that state, nothing good will happen. So I call her up and she's not home. So I leave her a voicemail and then, you know, the tension builds as I'm waiting for her to call me back. About an hour goes by, phone rings. I look at my caller ID. Oh no, you know, it's showtime. So I answer the phone and she says, yeah, I got your voicemail. Oh, and I just said, hi, Terry, David here. I just wanted to, uh, uh, talk with you about something. So she says, yep, got your voicemail. And so I said something like, yeah, I was kind of surprised by, so I, I always try to do a light touch first. I was kind of surprised by when you said about, you know, you should slap both Jesse and me. And she said something like, oh, don't worry. I would never lay a hand on Jesse. <laughs> I'm thinking, you're kind of missing the point here. Yeah. yeah. And I said, well, yeah, I know that. Um, th- you know, I appreciate that. And yes, I know that. That's, that's not what I, what I meant. I mean, I mean, I was taken aback by, like, you thought that that was okay to talk to me that way. And so, as you know, oftentimes if people feel challenged, that it trigger, you know, triggers that defensiveness. And some people go for the one up, I'm going to shame the other person position. So she adopts this like first grade teacher reprimanding or teaching a lesson to the student. She goes, well, David, you know, we each have our way of, of our types of humor something like that. So now I'm starting to get a little hot under the collar, but like, you know, keep it in check, keep it in check. And so I said, um, again, try to keep my voice tone, you know, modulated. I said, well, you may think it's funny. Um, I didn't think it's funny. And so I don't want you to talk to me that way again. And then I can't remember if she said anything then or not, but it was clear. I think there was like she said one more thing. It was clear that she was hunkering down. That what I said was totally fine. I don't care what you say, and it was clear no amount of my saying, you know, um, that was bad. You know, her saying no, it wasn't, is going to do anything. So I ended up saying this. I said, well, here, you know. I want, and I actually use the word challenge. I don't oftentimes recommend that, but I used it in that situation. I said, you know what, Terry, I want to challenge you. If you honestly believe that what you said was okay, I want to challenge you to ask a friend or two that you really respect, tell them what you said and ask them if they thought that was okay and that was respectful because I did the same thing to a couple of my friends that I respect to get feedback to see if I was off base. Silence. And then she says, I don't have to do that. I already know I was wrong. <laughs> I'm like, wow. come again? Yeah. And she said, I knew when I got your message, what you were calling me about. And then this is, this is where it really gets cool. 
because I didn't just like pack up my tent or get and like, okay, whatever, or like put it into overdrive aggression and, and try to make her wrong. She softened up and she started talking about how hard it is for her to be a parent and, you know, um, you know, some of the frustrations, et cetera. And back to creating safe, you know, a safe place. One of the things that I, you know, remember from back in the day when I was a therapist, all, you know, about learning about shame and vulnerability is, and I think this is really important for a leader. If a person is really opening up and being vulnerable, or especially if it's your partner is to balance that vulnerability scale, that, that power differential. And so I, I started sharing with her about some of my challenges as a, as a parent and man, I hear you, you know, it is not an easy walk. And so it ended up having like a really warm, connected conversation out of what was at first a confrontation. And so I shared that both because it's an example of you never know if you're willing to have the conversation, really amazing things can happen, even with people that you don't think amazing things will happen. And who knows the ripple effect, both in terms of her being more mindful of how she treats her husband, her kids, her friends, but also, again, leader as is, is role model, it, when we bring up difficult conversations, but in a respectful way, it role models for other people that you can have the hard conversations and it doesn't have to be this aggressive, aggressive, combative experience. Yeah. It's been my experience, especially in corporate with the people I was coaching and mentoring who had to have, you know, weekly or biweekly or monthly one-to-one meetings with their team there would always be a few people, they would just dread those meetings and hope that they would get canceled. But the funny thing was, is every month, once it was over, they were like, oh, that wasn't so bad. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like our minds build up these confrontational conversations to being this blowout, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know that it's just going to like stuff is going to go down. We get so scared. And the reality is the person's more open to it than we think they are. And what I loved about your story, David, too, because you were, you started off talking about how sometimes we don't speak up and it's not, it's not gender specific. I mean, both genders do it, but they, they do it slightly differently. But what's what, what was interesting in your story too, was I could really sense that this woman had a hard time speaking up as well and used that curmudgeon as a defense mechanism because she couldn't talk about what she really wanted to talk about yes. in a calm manner. So she just like blasted out kind of like in an annoyed way because it sounds like she, she initially didn't have the skills to do it. Man, I'm really glad you mentioned that, Jody, because it also speaks to something I see again often in the workplace is when you think about this, when people don't feel safe enough to be vulnerable about what's bothering them, they often use sarcasm, mm -hmm. like, hey, nice of you to show up. Yes. You know, when somebody comes too late at a meeting versus I'd really appreciate it if you'd come on time. Yeah. So really good point. Lacking yeah. skills people use really unpleasant ways of, of bringing up their upset. Yeah. And you probably see this too, when somebody gets really upset and emotional over something that's really not a big deal, it's not what they're bringing up. That's the problem. There were probably a hundred things 
that happened before that one thing that bothered them. It's just this was the straw that broke the camel's back. And if you can help them talk through it, they'll eventually tell you it wasn't this that was the problem. (laughs) Absolutely. And that and that goes back to whether it's a leader in the workplace or somebody in partnership, the more safe we are the lower the threshold before somebody's willing to talk about it. Mm-hmm. They don't have to wait until they've, quote, had it up to here and blow their top about, as you say, the issue that really isn't the issue. Right. It's always, you know, it's no fun when it happens, but in retrospect, it's always a little bit funny where you're like, hmm, that was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And David, what have you learned from the women you've mentored? As you know, I mean, you teach leadership all the time. It's a two-way street. You know, when we have a mentoring relationship, the mentor gets as much out of the relationship as the protege. So what are the things have you picked up from your protege's? Yeah, I I guess I want to share one example because it speaks to the benefit of being humble enough to be reverse mentored. And as you probably know, reverse mentoring is becoming more of a thing in the corporate world. And this is actually more in the um, sort of the informal business and personal realm that years ago I was approached by a, a psychology grad student, Amy, who saw me speak at an event and asked me if I would be her informal mentor getting into the speaking training business. And so over the years, at first it would just be like a phone call and and that sort of thing. And then when she moved closer to where I live, that we would occasionally get together. And it was sort of a, you know, very much a mentor-mentee kind of relationship. As the years went on, it became sort of a mentor-mentee-colleague relationship and then added on to friendship relationship. But still, since I've been in the field a fair amount longer than her, there was still that sort of mentor-mentee thing. And then this summer, I uh, found myself in very foreign territory in the personal realm. I was uh, dating somebody who had a teenage child. And this was like, really like, wow, how do I deal with this? This is, again, very foreign territory. And Amy had unbelievably gracefully navigated this with her now husband and his two kids. And this is somebody who married fairly late in life. And to take on, um, you know, teenage kids is, is a big step into the unknown. And so I really, uh, you know, re, you know, reached out, humbled myself, was very open and vulnerable in terms of Amy, you know, throw me a lifeline here. Really, I really need to benefit from your wisdom in this area. And it was just, it was a really cool experience, both to uh, make myself more vulnerable and in the student role. And I highly encouraged leaders to do that. And not obviously if in the workplace, not necessarily their personal life, um, but also that whether it's a mentee or or a direct report, they're hungering to make a difference. They're hungering to have their voice heard. So asking for their input, their suggestions, their recommendations, especially with your millennial employees is one of the best things you can do to inspire them to be their best and, you know, to be highly engaged. Yeah, absolutely. When someone's gotten the benefit 
from somebody else, they want to give back. They crave it. I mean, we're wired that way as human beings, that when somebody does something good for us, we naturally want to find opportunities to give back and allowing the people that you're mentoring to contribute to you will it will not only make their day, but it will also give them more confidence as leaders where they see, oh, I can contribute back. I have some value to give. Absolutely. And David, what changes do you see are necessary for more women to step up as leaders? Yeah, I would see this. And I think, again, I wouldn't say this is necessarily gender specific, um, but I think more so with women. And it, it's sort of a play on that uh amusing, but so wise saying, stop believing everything you think. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's challenging your self-limiting beliefs. Whenever you hear yourself saying, uh, like defining yourself in a limiting way or saying, I'm just not you know, good at this or not capable of such and such. And do we have time for a short story around this? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So I'll, I'll keep it really brief. An example of this that really hit home for me that happened almost 10 years ago was I I, um, offered to do a fundraiser for a nonprofit inviting uh, three different speakers and myself to to speak for them. And so the executive director of the of the nonprofit said, would you be the MC?" And my inside voice said like, no, because I had always avoided any sort of MC opportunities or hosting a panel because even though I do a lot of speaking for my work, I'm an introvert, so I'm not a real schmoozer kind of person. So I just didn't see myself as having the ability to be that, that sort of person, that sort of role. But I realized, well, since you're the one who offered to do the gig, you know, put your big boy pants on mm-hmm. and do this job. Don't try to pawn it off on somebody else. So the day comes, I, I do my talk. I'm an MC, awesome group, loved it, had a great time. When it was over, a friend of mine who attended said, uh, you know, how did you, you know, how'd you feel about it? I said, I loved it. You know, had a great time. Said, what, you know, any like big takeaways for you? And I stopped dead in my tracks. I said, remember that section of my talk where I talked about challenge, self-limit, challenge self-limiting beliefs? And she said, "Yeah, oh yeah, I definitely remember that. I said, you know what just dawned on me? All these years, I've been telling myself, I can't be an MC. That's just not in my skill set. I was able to do it. People said I did it well, and I enjoyed it. And I thought, what else have you been telling yourself all these years that you can't do that you really can? And so that's a question that I really encourage your listeners to ask themselves. Mm-hmm. Continue to challenge the status quo of what you think about yourself. I love yes. that. And David, to put the focus on you for a little bit, what's one thing that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Yeah. So the um, right now I'm working on the book proposal, the uh, Courageous Conversations at Work. And so it's a story-based book on <laughs> Courageous Conversations at Work. Mm-hmm. And so actually, if any listeners have some great examples of how they stepped up and had a conversation that was scary for them and it worked out, I would love to hear from them. But I love, I love interviewing people about facing challenges, especially in the conversational realm. So I'm really psyched about that. Yeah, that's a great title. And I have to say, like, especially when you kind of wound back around to giving the title again, that's, that's the symptom of a good title. 
when it's so, when it's so obvious you feel silly for saying and it's about the, tit- the title. <laughs> you know? That's good, awesome. And David, share with us a success quote and a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Yeah. And I'll, I'll stay on the old conversation theme. So it's a quote followed up by a question. And so part of my, my work mantra is better results require better conversations. So whether it's with an intimate partner, with clients, with teammates, a direct report with your boss. And then the question is, what's the conversation that you've been avoiding that if you had it and it went well, could be a game changer for you. Nice. And lastly, David, tell us how we can connect with you. Yeah. So between now and when the podcast is published, I'm going to put together especially uh, women taking the lead uh, resource page on human nature at work. So it'll just be human nature at work backslash WTL. So I'll have a bunch of articles, audios, videos, that sort of thing for those who want to build on this, this, uh, this theme. Very cool. And for those of you listening, you know you can always find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. There's a search bar there. Just put David in the search tab and his show notes page is going to come right up for you. And David, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. We are all better for having met you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Before we say goodbye, I want to give a huge shout out to Millie Welsh at ZebraLab Web Solutions. She does the hosting for the Women Taking the Lead website, as well as the SEO and payment solutions. So if you need help with any of these things, contact Millie at ZebraLabWebSolutions.com. Thank you all for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. And to strengthen you on your own leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. So here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me and here's to your success.